in preparation for today's message. We shall be reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Again, that is Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Good morning. We shall continue our series on Galatians. The title of today's message is Bear the Burden, based on Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Paul instructed the Galatian believers to walk by the Spirit and give no opportunity to the flesh. He warned that those who practice, meaning habitual practice, those who practice the deeds of the flesh would not inherit the kingdom of God. He further explained that those who belong to Christ had crucified the flesh and its lust. Paul cited examples of the fruit of the spirits, which included love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit leads the believers to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And then the apostle would instruct them to bear one another's burden while having the right spiritual attitude. So we've come a long way from chapter 1, where Paul warned them about those who preach a distorted gospel. And he was so passionate in defending the accuracy of the gospel. He did mention in, in his writing that whoever preaches a distorted gospel is cursed. That he was so clear. And uh, what does that mean to all believers from that time until now? What does it mean? It means that we must carefully study the gospel as revealed by the apostles, as revealed by Christ, as revealed in the Word of God. However, through time, many of us humans have tried to make the gospel easier to accept. Thus, we have added and changed a little bit here and there. And instead of focusing what they focused on today, somehow, not all, but there's quite a number that do not preach it as accurate as it should be preached. Paul clarified 
that you have left the grace of God. You have left the grace of God. If you think circumcision will save you. Now what does that mean? Because he clearly explained we are justified by faith alone. Our complete trust in him. Not only in him, in who he is and what he has done. And we have to understand who he is and what he has done. That is the gospel. We have to understand clearly what the gospel is. And Jesus himself told his disciples, and it's recorded in Luke 24, that what you are witnesses of these things, of the suffering, that the Messiah should suffer and rise again from the dead, and that repentance should be proclaimed to all the nations for the forgiveness of sins. And we have asked, who among today's preachers or teachers of evangelism emphasize the suffering, death, and resurrection, and immediately after that, emphasizing the importance of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we would see in the Acts of the Apostles that they were faithful to proclaim. After Peter preached at Pentecost, the people asked, what shall we do? And one of the words he said was, repent. What does repent mean? Change your position on sin and everything else. Change your mind about it. That includes turning away from it. Making that firm decision in your heart to follow Him. Yet the apostles also explain that that desire to follow Him and repent also comes from the grace of God Himself and not from us. And here in Galatians, Paul was saying that we are justified by faith. And if you are truly justified by faith, you have the Spirit with you. And if you have the Spirit with you, you will be led by the Spirit. Therefore, do not give opportunity for the flesh. Instead, walk by the Spirit. And what are the deeds of the flesh? And he spoke about sexual immorality. He spoke about dissensions. He spoke about such things that are against the Spirit of God. So in essence, he's also saying, well, if you truly have faith, you don't want to do these things. In essence, that's also repentance. In essence, that's also turning away from these things. And then he spoke about, if we walk by the Spirit, we are led by the Spirit. We manifest the fruit of the Spirit. I'm paraphrasing right now. Because the fruit of the Spirit. That's not a fruit. These are not things we develop because we were uh, fantastic psychologically. No, it is something that the Spirit of our God cultivates within us. Especially if we study the things of God. Especially if our faith is anchored on the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ. He manifests the fruit of the Spirit 
as we have cited, which included love, joy, peace. It's something within. No, it's not happiness. It's joy. It's love. It's peace. Happiness is very temporary. And I hope uh, us believers will not be deluded but by what the world is selling. Uh, commercialization, I mean, happiness is being commercialized. The pursuit of happiness. Happiness is what? Having the ability to spend, therefore get our credit card. I tell you, that's temporary. You'll be happy swiping your card and you'll have the headache of paying it. Many things in this world is temporary because what the Bible and what the world promotes are two different things. Here it's love, joy, peace. It's a peace within. And we know that love here within the immediate context would be serving one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said in an earlier verse, serve one another and loving your neighbor as yourself. And do not take vengeance on one another. Then we come to chapter 6. Now you understand the gospel. Now you understand the flesh versus the spirit, that there is a battle going on. And uh, let us never forget what he said in chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. He also mentioned, we have crucified the flesh. And I remember the words of Christ saying, whoever wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. The cross or the tree is where you nail the human. That is crucifixion. Crucifixion was started by the Romans. It is a Roman torture to make somebody suffer and to put somebody on display by nailing them to a piece of wood. In other words, a tree, a part of a tree. So what do we do with the flesh? Well, we continue not to give it space. Even though we have crucified the flesh when we came to Christ, yet daily we have to nail it. One of the deeds of the flesh is fits of anger. And many of us can relate, especially if you're raising children. Especially when they become teenagers. And uh, many of us relate well to that. But many of us don't need that to be challenged with our self-control or our patience. So every time we feel we lack the patience, at that moment we crucify the flesh and say, Lord, forgive me, I recognize and I, I submit to your word. I deny myself right now. In effect, that is crucifying the flesh. And if we have that habit, we'll see through time. After many years of continuously battling that, we will realize that, wow, somehow I learned to be a little more patient. And somehow I'm a little more kind. Uh, somehow, by God's grace, I have changed. But if we have no consciousness that there's a battle, then we don't care. We let the battle continue. Or, or we just don't fight it. And one way to fight it is to walk in the Spirit and give no opportunity for it. Now, let's go to the main text that we've read. The first point is restoration. Paul speaks about restoration. Paul instructed the believers who are spiritual. 
to restore fellow believers caught in sin. In other words, bear each other's burden. Moreover, it should be done in a spirit of meekness, lest the one correcting also fall into the transgression. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, meaning any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Another word is meekness, and we discussed that word. It is power under control. It is our tempers under control as well. It is putting things in control. In a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, in effect, he's saying, what did Paul mention as the law of Christ? It is to love one, your neighbor as yourself. In effect, if we do this, we are loving our neighbor as yourself. Now, many have quoted this verse, carry one another's burdens, bear one another's burdens, but they immediately jump to the interpretation that this is emotional, that is, this is psychological, or that this is financial. Bear one another's burdens. If one is having a hard time financially, let's help them. And I'm not saying the Bible does not teach helping one another in those areas. It does. But this text is very clear. What does bearing one another's burden mean? It means if one is sinning, we have to try to restore that person. That is bearing the burden. It's having that effort to intervene, to speak, to apply Matthew 18, to correct. And if they do not listen, to get another one. Hopefully they will listen. And if not, we call on the church or the elders of the church to convince that person to be restored in their walk with Christ. That is bearing the burden. But sometimes we do the opposite because we don't like offending one another and it's more important to the emotional state or our personal relationship with them rather than speaking the truth. Bearing one another's burden is, hey brother, um, I think you have a habit that that does not reflect the fruit of the Spirit, but exactly the opposite. Allow me to pray for you and help you there. Brother, you always get angry. Let me help you there. Let me pray for you there. You're always jealous. Let me pray for you there. You're always rebelling against authority. There's something wrong. That is bearing one another's burden. That's the context. Of course, we can extend the application to many things as we cross-reference throughout Scripture. Yes, we may. But the clarity of this is this is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Again, most would interpret burdens as problems and cares in this life. However, the context is clearly about transgressions or sins. Thus, the burden referred to in the context, again, is spiritual. Like, and that's a beauty about the growth group when we get to meet one another. 
we somehow are always updated with what's happening with each other. We voluntarily update. And remember our format, we share our thanksgiving. We have to hear what you're thankful about. Because if you're not thankful about anything, then, then there's a problem because the, the Word of God says, in everything give thanks. So at least meeting regularly with, with a, a small group and a leader who helps shepherd and take care of the group, somehow you carry that burden with one another when somebody shares, I'm struggling with this area. Of course, it's clear that we should not gossip because that is a deed of the flesh, definitely, if you slander. But to keep it within and to help one another grow. When do you tell another one? When the person does not listen to the correction. That's the only time you tell it to somebody else. But then there is a warning here. We should do that for one another, but then let's also listen to the warning. Uh, and the warning is, be careful. That, that we should watch ourselves. So that's why when we correct one another, it's not in an attitude of, of arrogance or spiritual pride, as some would call it, but more on in humility that, bro, I could be wrong at other things, but uh, right now I clearly see that you're wrong in this aspect. But if ever in the future I'm also wrong in this aspect, if ever I do sin in this aspect, I would welcome your correction to me. But right now, allow me to correct you, not because I'm better than you, not because I'm more mature than you. It's just that maybe in this area you're having difficulty. But allow me to be your prayer partner here and to be your accountability partner here. That's why we should correct one another in, in that light. Uh, but brother, Ed, hasn't Christ been firm on some people like Peter? Yes, but... You have to put it in the context that Peter keeps getting corrected and somehow he's in a little bit manner of speaking a little bit stubborn in some areas. So the Lord became firm at him and even called him, get behind me, Satan. Uh, yes, there is space for that, yet that is not the first thing we do. The first thing we do is in a spirit of gentleness say, don't do this. Then again, then after a while, can we be firm? That's not what the text is saying, but in the overall of Scripture, yes. There are times we have to be firm when correcting. Yet the first step is we have to do it in meekness. So that shows that we have to be careful not to think of ourselves better or look down on others when others make a mistake or sin. But should we ignore them? No, we cannot. We cannot. We have to go out and speak. And it's much easier. Shepherding is much easier if everybody in the small groups. Uh, because the pastor cannot shepherd everybody. So he delegates that with other growth group leaders that they take care of one another. The group takes care of bearing the burden of one another. But if there's a burden too difficult, then it goes up to us pastors and elders to deal if a burden is so heavy that even the growth group leader or, he, or another growth group leader is having a hard time with it. Then that's the time it is elevated. But if everything is centered on 
one or two or three pastors, then they, they, cannot, they will not have enough time to study God's word and preach properly. They will not have enough time to, uh, to plant new churches. They will not have enough time to do those things. That's why we all must fulfill our role in bearing the burden of one another, bearing the spiritual burden of our church community. But Brother Ed, what do we do with the secret agents? What's a secret agent? They don't like do joining the growth group because they have something to hide. Well, we still reach out to them. Some have nothing to hide. They just think they are self-sufficient. They don't need somebody else to carry their burden. They can do it in their own, which is also wrong. Which is also not biblical. You just go to church to listen and go home without speaking to some people and being accountable for your spiritual growth. Somebody must say, let's talk about the sermon. What did we learn in the sermon? And then you're you were, because you listened, you're able to share. Somebody must check on that. That one is truly growing in the lessons of Scripture. And the growth group leader that learns to be sharp in studying God's Word will also correct the members if they're giving statements that are not really in the Word that was discussed. They're picking out verses everywhere because they didn't really study. They didn't study it line by line. They were not listening when the historical context was discussed. Therefore, they don't understand the meaning. And once in a while, a growth group leader must say, you're not following you're pretending to follow, but you're not following. You know what you're doing? You're checking the internet on commentaries, but not all commentaries are correct. And that's what you're doing before you join the growth group. Rather than analyzing it line by line by line within its context, now to those who correct let us be careful of self-deception. That is the next point. Paul warns that those with inflated egos related to their spirituality, some call this spiritual pride, which is a form of self-deception. Therefore, those who think they are spiritual should correct others with meekness. Verse 3, let's read verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's why we still have to correct one another with meekness. The genuine believers understand that they do not have their own righteousness. We do not have our own righteousness. Our good works cannot save us. Whatever good in us was given to us by the Spirit of God, by His grace, that we can do them. So true believers don't think they're somebody. No matter how long we are in the Lord, we must humbly study God's Word. Anybody who thinks he knows the Word because they know a few verses here and there, but if you double-check them, they know it out of context. Like if you ask some people who have been 10 years in the Lord, how is a person saved? By inviting Jesus in your heart. Fantastic. Where is that in the Bible? And they, they quote Revelation 3.20. Oh, that's not for unbelievers. That is a rebuke to a church. Where did you get that? I'm sure you got that from somebody on the internet or somebody on TV or some preacher you've heard, but that's out of context. And we have encouraged us 
to evaluate each and every one, including us here in this church, line by line, contact. Is that, is that more accurate or not? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And because some don't want to be corrected, they say, what? Uh, well, I study God's Word too. That's your interpretation. This is mine. Look, there's only one intent of the author. When you write an email to somebody, you have one intent. It is not subject to many interpretations. Because you're alive, if I don't understand your email, I can ask you, what do you mean by this? Because you're alive. But the authors are dead. Those whom God spoke to are dead. So how can we understand? We study it by context. We studied by the historical context, what's happening during that time, and literary context. What's the context within? Don't make it mean something else. You don't take a sentence from an email and make it an, uh, your own interpretation about it. You have to understand why the email was written. You have to understand from the first sentence down to the last sentence of this email, what is he talking about? You cannot just remove one and create your own idea about it. You think you're someone when you're no one. The best guide is we are nothing. But in Christ is everything. But I am nothing. But in Christ is everything. In His Word is everything. Therefore, what do we do? We humble ourselves before His Word. Now, this applies as well to extend this attitude how we approach non-believers. Why do they do this? Because they're in sin. And don't forget, we were saved by grace alone. Genuine believers understand that they do not own, we do not have our own righteousness. However, however, we know that we don't have our own righteousness, but but we can recognize if we are growing spiritually. We can recognize that. When we recognize the fruit of the Spirit, we know that we're growing spiritually. And even as we know that we're growing spiritually, as we correct others, yet we have to do it in a spirit of meekness. And sometimes we, are not, we don't always do this right. And sometimes I am challenged, even in my profession. One of my things I do is I, I'm a professor. I'm tested with my patients when my students don't follow the instructions. So I learned I should not just get angry. I'll just give them a zero, right? Just why get angry? Just say zero because you did this. But I, I, I try to be gracious because when they get a zero and I give the explanation, some of them correct their paper and send it back. Oh, okay. Hoping for mercy, huh? Then I'm reminded to be merciful. <laughs> but on the third time, they still don't get it. I say, please do your own research. This is a graduate school, not, not bachelor's degree, not high school. Uh, you have to do your own research. But then I'm tested.
When your teenager treats you like a fool, lying to you, thinking they can manipulate you, when you know it so well because you were worse than them when you were young, and you say, I know what you're doing. Yet, we must be reminded we were saved by grace alone. We correct, but in a spirit of meekness and gentleness. I think we should apply this as well in our marriage. Don't you think so? Can I hear an amen? Yeah. At least somebody agrees with me, right? Number three, test. The apostle instructed them to practice self-examination, to put spiritual egotism in check. And if they believe they are doing well spiritually, they may celebrate in themselves, but never compare with another. Verse four, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be himself alone and not in his neighbor. Let me just give you a, a, a short commentary. The word boast here actually means to celebrate, not the boasting of, hey, I'm better than you. Okay? So that, but let each one test his own work, then let his reason to celebrate will be in himself, hey, I have grown spiritually, but not in comparison to a neighbor. Oh, my neighbor is not doing well. My friend has not grown yet, but I have grown. I read the Bible until now. He doesn't read the Bible. That's not, don't do that. But if you have achieved a certain, unlocked a certain level and say, I am consistent with my Bible reading. I finished the New Testament. I finished the Old Testament. And wow, it's fantastic. Somehow it affected my way of thinking and my way of life. And I could sense the Spirit of God working in my life. Fantastic. Celebrate. But never in comparison with another. Celebrate on your own. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. What does that mean? You said, bear one another's burden and we have to carry our own load? Yes, it means both. As we have to carry our own load, our spiritual life, we don't rely it on it on somebody else. So stop blaming spiritual leaders if you're not carrying your own load. You have to carry your own load. You have to carry your own spirituality. You have to carry your own spiritual growth, yet at the same time, bear one another's. You see, I take care of me, and we take care of one another. You take care of you, and you take care of, we take care of one another. That's the design. One time I proclaimed the gospel to, to a schoolmate. And uh, what I didn't know was he was a closet queen. Proclaimed the gospel, then, then somehow disappeared from my Bible studies. Couldn't find him because in campus, you just move around in your dormitories. You can't be found anymore. Then we became classmates in one of the subjects when I was in college. And lo and behold, he's gone out of the closet and he was already champion, first runner-up of Miss Gay in our university. So I said, what happened to you? 
And he arrogantly answered me back. So I said, oh, okay, space. All right, all right. But after a long while, I thought, I've shared the gospel as gen gently as I could. I'm going to go to the approach of you will go to destruction if you continue on your path. So I saw him one time. I was going down on the basement to one of my classrooms, and I saw him just sitting there all alone. And I said, if you continue in what you're doing, you will be judged. He's not only a good God, but he is a judge as well. That's the other side. Let me warn you, that is suffering forever. Then he gave a response, which made me glad. Which, what, that was the path for his restoration. Or for the first time, really understanding the gospel. Right now, he's married with, with wonderful children, a man of God. But you know the first line he said? It's your fault you left me alone. I said, I never left you alone. You always ran away from me. And some believers are like that. You follow up, no, 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 no. And then when they, they encounter a difficult part in their lives, they blame everybody for nobody following them up. Hey, you carry your own load. We help you carry it, but you have to carry your load. Are we here? Instruction has been given again and again, yet, because you didn't follow that path, you went through a more difficult path. Paul instructed them to bear one another's burdens, but he also instructed them to bear their own burdens. Is this a contradiction? Again, I say no. The believer should each grow and examine themselves, and believers should bear the burden of the others. Why do we carry the burden of the others when we're taking care of our own burden? Because nobody's perfect. Because nobody is perfect. We have that part in our lives which we do not see. But others might see. And that's where we come in as genuine brothers and sisters. But there are already signs. You know, Proverbs says, In a multitude of counselors, a plan succeeds. And some people don't want to counsel. They don't want to hear the opinion of others because they're hypersensitive. You know, if you really want wisdom, you want to see all the different perspectives in a certain situation. But if you're always, because this is what I like, I like my girlfriend already, no advice, please. Then they got married, how come never, but no one advised me? No, because you didn't want any. We each must carry our own load, but we have to carry the load of each one. Application number one, restore each other. We must restore transgressing brothers and sisters, which means correcting them. It should be done truthfully in the spirit of gentleness because we might fall into the same transgression. If we restore each other, we bear each other's burden and fulfill the law of Christ, which is what? Loving one another. Once we correct one another, that is one example of loving one another. That is the context. What law? Again, 
Paul referred to love your neighbor as yourself. Thus, by restoring each other, we practice loving our neighbor as ourselves. Number two, have the right perspective. Each of us should beware of inflated egos related to spirituality. We are all sinners justified by faith, made possible by the Spirit. Thus, we should never see ourselves as spiritual giants or somebody spiritual, spiritually better than others. What do we do then? We just anchored on the Word of God. This is what the Word says. That's not what I said. This is what the Word says. It's not me pushing myself. It's me revealing the Word of God, sharing the Word of God. And there's a difference. You think you're a spiritual giant? In this room, no one is. I hope that is clear. No one is. That's why everyone must walk carefully according to the Spirit of God. However, we deceive ourselves if we correct in the spirit of pride. If we have grown in grace, it is because of the Spirit, not us. Thus, let us not imagine that our own works of the law made us spiritually strong. Now, once we begin thinking that it's our own works that made us strong, then we are lost. No, it is the Spirit at work. Always acknowledging God rather than ourselves. And lastly, examine our hearts. Let us review the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. It's found in the same context in chapter 5. Then let us examine how we think, feel, and speak and act. If we seem to be doing well, let us rejoice, but never condemn the brother that we need to correct. Scripture instructs us to bear one another's burdens, but also to carry our own weight. How do we do that? By examining the self to make sure that we walk by the Spirit that is carrying our own weight. Such is our responsibility. We are responsible for ourselves, carry our own weight, and we are responsible for each other still. Now, if everybody's carrying their own weight and taking care of each other, that's stronger. Now, if we apply it in a non-spiritual context, so allow me, please forgive me for for extending it to a non-spiritual context, Although the, the scripture is about, the text we study is about spiritual context. It's like in the family. As you grow up and you have brothers and sisters that everybody should be working. Everybody should be either planting kamote or working somewhere else. It means they're carrying their own burden. It's better for siblings or family to say, I'm working, I'm carrying my own weight. But then we take care of each other because we know sometimes it's never enough. It's better versus somebody who's not carrying their own load. That all the siblings should carry this person because this person is not working. Either he tries to work, but he fights everybody he works with so he cannot keep unemployment. Or he's too lazy to plant kamote. Now, you, now we, we can easily understand that because some of us know stories of that or know people like that. Now, let's bring it to the spiritual life. Many of us don't carry our own load. You know what we do with spiritual life? Kesera, serah. What will be, will be. And most of our prayer is what? Lord, provide. Lord, I have this problem financially. Provide. 
It's all material or mostly material. Lord, give me a spiritual blessing. Give me an understanding of the word. Where's that spiritual part that we want to carry on loan? Give me the discipline to study scripture. Give me the discipline to apply scripture. Give me the heart to do your will. Give me the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Give me the discipline to invite somebody so that somehow maybe, maybe they would want to learn more of you and I can help guide them in the little that I know. No, but it's mostly material. Lord, I need, I need this, I need that. Or if you're not there at that context, you're in, you're in what? You still look, you just look for pleasure. Pleasure online, through your phone. Rather than carrying your weight spiritually. Now what do we do if somebody's having a hard time? We help them. We help them and slowly help them carry their own way. That's what bearing the burden means. And we are here. We want to help one another. And slowly we want everybody to slowly become productive spiritually. We also want everybody to be productive even in the financial. Extending the application slowly if you're, you're, you're in a state of shock. And some of us are because of this pandemic. Many of us are in a state of financial shock. And do we help one another? Yes, but we have to help one another also learn to recover from the shock. Not just forever waiting on somebody else to help us. I give you a piece of poetry called Bear the Burden. Bear the burden of your brother. Never think that it's a bother. And look as well to your sister. Watch out for things that burden her. What does bearing the burden mean? It means removing the unclean or correcting the transgressor. The agenda is to restore. Note the burden is spiritual. In this text, it's not material. And it's not about what's trivial. It's about a soul's revival. A reminder, be careful now. You may ask in what way or how. Let's restore others in meekness. It does not mean it's a weakness. Examine the self of the flesh. Our minds and hearts should refresh. Lest we fall into the same thing. Then shame to ourselves we will bring. Let's rejoice if we bear fruit. But never to start a dispute, for we must carry our own weight and be concerned with each other's state. Let's all rise and let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning's reminder that we should bear one another's burden, yet still carry our own load. May it be clear to us that correcting one another is loving one another. And if we experience this love from others, may we welcome it. Because sometimes we are fools for thinking that we are wiser than the Scriptures. Sometimes we do things abruptly and hastily instead of consulting your word and consulting the wisdom of others. 
we have delved into such things recklessly and we still blame others for it forgive us Lord yet we rejoice to some who are growing spiritually we rejoice but not in comparison to others but we just rejoice that by your grace we have something to celebrate and something to boast in Christ alone not because of us but give us that heart to know your word and to help shape ourselves according to your word by your spirit but also others that we may shape one another according to scripture and that we learn to receive the pruning from your Holy Spirit the correction the shaping the painful shaping as well knowing that it leads to something that it leads to something better thank you Lord thank you for your word thank you for your Holy Spirit at work within us thank you for the fruit of the Spirit and teach us to walk by the Spirit may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of the Father and the fellowship of his spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Good morning.